This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In this third and final segment of the interview with Chade Ming Tan, author of Search Inside Yourself, Knowledge at Wharton explores the relationship between emotional intelligence and financial performance. According to Ming, companies as diverse as GE, Patagonia, Zappos, Genentech, American Express, and MetLife have seen positive business results through practices based on emotional intelligence. Mindfulness can also help laid-off job seekers find work faster. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's just an extension of the same uh, uh, mm-hmm. issue is uh, when it comes right. to making decisions that have right. financial consequences. Right. So let, let's say a manager has to make a decision based on financial considerations, but right. they suppress the emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. They, they, they may end up make with, with decisions that, are, that could be considered inhumane, although they could appear to help the bottom line in the short run. So, for example, right. a company may choose it has to cut costs, so it lays mm-hmm. off thousands of employees. Right. On the other hand, if emotional em- intelligence is emphasized at the cost mm-hmm. of financial considerations, that right. too could hurt the company's long-term viability. Mm-hmm. So in, mm-hmm. in short, how can managers balance emotional intelligence with financial intelligence so mm-hmm. that the results are optimal, like a guitar string that is neither too tight nor too slack and uh, so plays the okay. perfect pitch. Right. So, so once again, I want to challenge the, the, the premise of this question. The premise of this question is, uh, is, uh, um, assumes uh, mutual exclusivity. Right? You either have financial consideration or, emotional, or emotionally intelligent considerations. Uh, I, want to, I want to say, what if you do both? And I want to I want to claim that it is possible to do both. Well, the question is, how do you do both? Yes. Okay. Question. Yes. I'll give you an example. Uh, the, a good example is uh, from the book by Daniel Goleman, and he wrote about uh, a layoff at GE, General Electric. So GE, uh, they had to close a plant, like I think a couple of thousand workers. So so they had to lay off a, a few thousand people. It's very painful. Uh, but what they did was they, they did a couple of very humane things. So they told all these people two years in advance, right, we're going to close this plant, unfortunately. Blah, blah. And they didn't just tell them two years in advance. They helped every one of them get new jobs. So they had like, like uh, placement services for them for free, and they had counseling services and so on. So, but, I mean, they ended up closing the plant. Uh, but after that, a year after the close of the plant, a year after everybody was laid off, 93% of those who got laid off says that GE is a good place to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so it turns out that even something as painful as laying people off, it can be done in an emotionally intelligent way. Mm-hmm. It can be done in a way where people still like you, even though you make a tough decision. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good example. Uh, and sometimes it turns out that you don't even have to lay off people. Um, and... I heard this story. Uh, it's about Patagonia, and I heard this. Uh, the CEO is uh, Casey Casey Sheehan, and I heard this story from his wife. Uh, so a couple of years ago, uh, the economy dipped, right? and and Casey was uh, considering laying off people. And it seems at that time, it seems to him that laying off people was his only solution. So his wife asked him a very short and powerful question. She she asked him. Are you making this decision 
out of fear or out of love? Mm. <laughs> Which seems like a fluffy new age kind of question. But that question struck him. And he realized that he's doing this out of fear. Mm. And so for all, he didn't go through the layoffs. And then the year after that, they ended up having record sales. <laughs> and and if, if Casey had laid out all those people, he would be in trouble and the next year because he, he's going to have to hire all those people back and all other people back and retrain people and so on. Right? So, so it turns out that it's when it's, even when it's obvious, quote-unquote obvious, that you have to fire people, uh, if, if you see that things in an emotionally intelligent way, it may not always be the only solution. There may be other creative solutions that... That could, yeah, that could enable better outcomes. And I have one other example, uh, not, not directly related to, to uh, firing people, but it's this idea of doing something that's emotionally intelligent and is good for you financially. And this is an example from Zappos. So Zappos, as you know, they are a company for delivering happiness. <laughs> so so it's, it's a company that sells shoes online. <laughs> And speaking for me, speaking as an investor myself, right? I mean, I'm a stupid investor. So, so, and once once I tell you this, you know I'm stupid because, I mean, I would never invest in a company that, that sells shoes online. <laughs> <laughs> yet, yet Tony, uh, the CEO Tony said, Tony managed to bring this company from zero to one billion dollars in sales. It's pretty amazing. Like how how did he do that? And and his formula is uh, he called delivering happiness. So he delivers happiness to his people, his employees, and his employees in turn deliver happiness to customers, and customers love them, and the customers love them, they, they spend more money. Right? That, was, that was a premise. It worked really well. Uh, Zappos, for example, was rated more highly in, in uh, customer service than Four Seasons. Mm. And it's four seasons for crying out loud. And this is the <laughs> dot-com company from from Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and the the reason I, I tell this story, besides showing off how how lousy I am as an investor, is that uh, what one of the, the things that that Tony told us is that by doing this, by delivering happiness, they save a lot of money on marketing. Mm. So they don't do any marketing. Right? Their customer service is the marketing. Mm. And because they, they serve the customers so well, the customers tell all their friends, that, and and that's why there's no marketing budget. So this example of of emotional intelligence, and that's that makes a lot of financial sense. That's that's a great example. Yeah. In addition to your experience at Google, you also yeah. cite ex, uh, examples in your book of other companies that are mm-hmm. nurturing emo, where nurturing emotional intelligence had an impact on the bottom line. Now mm-hmm. we already shared a couple of those. Uh, right. Uh, uh, like Zappos, but do you have any other examples? I have one more. Uh, so uh, uh, this I didn't write in my book because I, I learned about it only after I finished writing the book. And the company is Genentech, which is a biotech company uh, like down the street from from where I work right now. And uh, the, so the, the they have the CIO, the Chief Information Officer, whose name is Todd Pierce. And when Todd joined the company, the 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 IT department was the least satisfying place to work in the company. <laughs> it's like everybody hated being there. Right? So Todd started something he called the Personal Excellence Program. And what that basically is, is it's basically a mindfulness program. Uh, not just mindfulness. It's also, in, in a way, it's, it's like SIY. It applies mindfulness in, in emotional intelligence ways. 
uh, except it's, it's less systematic than, than what we do. So, so, so the SIY is, is, very, uh, is a curriculum which is very, uh, uh, what, what's the word? Uh, I was going to say put in a systematic way, but I'm not sure what the word is. Uh, but in, 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 uh, in TOS, TOS program, person ex- the, accidents, the personal accidents program, he has a lot more flexibility. There's a lot more coaching. And what they do is they get people to pick a skill they want to develop, like listening skill, feedback, giving feedback, work-life balancing, managing, you know, things like that. And the quality they want to develop, like courage, uh, calmness, receptivity. And through a, a couple of months, uh, they are coached into using mindfulness to create their quality and the, and the skill that they want to, cre- to create. So it's, it's, it's highly customized. And what happened after a, few, after a few years of doing this, the department went from the least satisfying place to work to number two in the company, and is rated by Computer World as the number two IT department uh, to work in, <laughs> and the number two best place to work in. Right? It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, it is absolutely. Yeah, so so this is an example of of mindfulness and EI working in in a large corporation. There are other examples, but they are less systematic. So those other examples, they don't use the EI as a whole. They they sort of uh, nurture a, a certain aspect of EI. So, for example, uh, in American Express, uh, they have they have a program on self-awareness or emotional awareness that's that has led to increase in their revenue per employee for for those in the fin- uh, American Express financial advisors. And then, uh, MetLife. MetLife famously used optimism to increase increase their sales or employee uh, per employee. And, and this, this is a fascinating story. Uh, it, it came from a book by uh, Marty uh, Seligman, mm-hmm. who is a father of Learn Optimism. So, and, and right here at UPenn. Yes, and you, uh, correct, yeah. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> you know him. <laughs> and, and the story is, is uh, so MetLife has, has, a, has a very high bar on who they want as, a, as a, a, an insurance uh, agent. Right? So uh, they, they give everybody a standardized test. And, and then there are people who just fail the test, and, and Marty's convinced MetLife to hire those people who, who just fail the test but score very highly in optimism. And those guys, they turn out to sell like 50% more than the other guys, <laughs> which is fascinating because they fail the test, but they're very optimistic people. So optimism is very powerful for, as, as, a business, uh, as a business skill. And, and so this is just one aspect of emotional intelligence. And, and in SIY, for example, we teach everything starting from, from uh, self-awareness all the way to, to social skills. So optimism is just one of the aspects. And the idea is if even one aspect is so powerful, like imagine the whole spectrum. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, can mindfulness-based meditation help people who have been laid off? Uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, uh, can it help them in their search for new jobs? Oh, definitely. That, that is a fascinating study uh, I, I wrote about in the book. And this study came from UPenn. Uh, sorry, not UPenn. Uh, uh, University of Texas at Austin. Uh, by this guy called Panda Baker, who is an expert on, on journaling. So journaling uh, is basically writing, writing about your emotions. So, so in a way, it is a mindfulness practice that is done with writing. And so in this experiment, they got a group of people who got laid off. Uh, they are, these are all professionals. They got laid off looking for the new job. And so for a control group, they didn't, they didn't do any writing. Okay? And then for the experimental group, 
they ask them to write about their emotions for 20 minutes a day for five continuous days. So in total, they did 100 minutes of mindful writing. So the question is, so what happened after that, after eight months? After eight months, the control group that didn't write any, who didn't do any writing, about 26% found, found new jobs. Okay? The experimental group, the group that wrote about the emotions, something like 65% found jobs. And it's like, to me, it's mind-blowing. It's like 40%, 40 percentage points of difference in 100 minutes of, of non-evasive <laughs> intervention. <laughs> I mean, in social sciences, if you, get, can, you can get 3% difference that is statistically significant, you, you publish, and you get excited about this. <laughs> this is like 40 percentage points for crying out loud. <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating. And, and why does it work? Um, the speculation or the explanation given in the paper is that those people who wrote about their emotions, they become, they, they have more clarity about what they want in life, or rather they created, they created the kind of clarity in themselves. And because they have that clarity, when they went for interviews, they appear more confident. Mm. And that's why they can find jobs at a much higher rate. So, so definitely mindfulness can help you find jobs. <laughs> so this goes back to a previous point about uh, the connection between mindfulness and self-confidence and so forth. Right. Yes, definitely. Now, business schools uh, excel at teaching students mm -hmm. analytical skills. Mm -hmm. They have often been less successful at helping students to develop emotional intelligence. How, right. how can they do a better job? <clears throat> um, the first step. The first step is to recognize the importance of emotional intelligence in, in business leadership. And I think that leadership is essentially character. And you cannot develop character if you don't also develop emotional intelligence. So that's how important it is. So, so EI is at the center of developing leaders. And I think recognizing that is the first step. And then the second step, once you recognize that, how, like, why is it hard even after that? And I think it's hard because uh, business schools and I think schools in general, like universities and I think down, down even to, uh, to elementary schools, schools in general are very used to curriculum that are purely cognitive, like they, they, they learn stuff from a book, from reading or from doing, from doing problems. Uh, schools in general, and business schools in particular, are not used to curriculum that require other forms of training. And in emotional intelligence, there are at least three aspects of training. Right? There's a cognitive aspect, but there's also the attentional aspect, which is, and then there's also an affective aspect. Right? The attentional aspect is what we talked about earlier, which is to develop a quality of attention that allows you to become clear on demand. And the affective aspect is a training that allows you to perceive uh, emotions at high resolution and have ma gain mastery over those emotions. And this, this is not something you can learn from reading a book or, or doing solving problems on a piece of paper. Right? This, this is an entirely different form of training. And uh, business schools are not yet uh, used to those things. So, and I, so I, I'm hoping that my book, The Search Inside Yourself, will pave the way for that by bringing these things uh, out to people's uh, awareness. And I hope, I hope that in a few years' time, every business school will, will offer emotional intelligence training. <laughs> that would be amazing. What, what advice would you offer companies that are interested in setting up a program like SIY? How mm -hmm. should they go about it? 
And what immediate steps can they take, and what more can be can be done over time? Uh, I, my my recommendation first step is to read the Search Inside Yourself book, and just so that they know what they're getting themselves into. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for so for example, it turns out that attentional training is a main part. It's not a main part. It's it's a very it's a very it's a foundation, right? right? So uh, and it, yeah, so know what you're getting yourself into by reading the book. Uh, after you do that. After you, you read the book and you like, you like what, what you see, uh, there are very simple things that you can try out immediately that will, I guarantee will be immediately useful. And they're all exercises in the book. For example, uh, there is an exercise in the book called Mindful Conversation. And this is not new. This I, 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 we actually learned from lawyers, from, from our friends in the legal community. And the idea is that uh, if this exercise involves one person giving a monologue for a couple of minutes, and then the other person, the listener, starts by saying, this is what I heard you say. Yeah, this is what I understood you to say. And then they go back and forth until the original speaker feels understood. Right? And then, of course, the key practice is mindfulness. When you listen and you speak, you do it mindfully. And so this is a very simple practice, and this is very useful in situations of conflict or in, situation, in situations of stalemate, you know, especially if it's because one side or both sides feel that they're not understood by the other side. So in those situations, you can just do this very simple exercise and I can guarantee you like at least half the time you get results. And if you don't get results, at least people feel that, ah, I'm understood. Now we can work together. So simple things. So then there are a couple of other simple things like that you can try from the book. And then if you want to go beyond that, uh, I, we are creating an organization called the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, S-I-Y-L-I, pronounced as silly. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us on uh, silly.org. And so I, I suggest uh, talking to people in silly. Silly, our vision is uh, enlightened leaders worldwide. Great. Well, since... Yeah, and one of our taglines is, is uh, if, it's so, if it's serious, it must be silly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, since we started this conversation talking about world peace, uh, mm -hmm. what three things can each individual do to help achieve world peace? Actually, only one thing they need to do, but it's, it's one thing in three parts. And the one thing is uh, cultivate inner peace, cultivate inner happiness, and cultivate compassion. And I think there's a linear relationship between these three. Uh, I think compassion is unsustainable unless it's based on inner happiness. Right? Because if you're, if, you're happy, if you're happy a lot uh, from, from inside out, then you can sustain your compassion. And this inner happiness is unsustainable unless you have inner peace. Right? So, so there's a linear relationship. And compassion, if everybody has compassion, then it creates the conditions for world peace. So that's, that's it. That's it. One thing. <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> Ming, thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you so much. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.